Greetings, friends! Welcome back to another ghastly, slimy, religious episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, here for a brief introduction before today's exciting episode guys if you want the movies every day this month we did the work damn it but you got to go help us out go to patreon.com slash pod it's the very best way to help the show it's the very best way to make the show exactly what you want man you get votes you can eventually pick double features you get commentaries uh you get your voice heard some mini series we should have a tales from the crypt mini series beginning next month a little side dish for your thanksgiving uh month but neither here nor there, guys. We really appreciate it. For those of you who help us out, thank you so much. You are the lifeblood of this podcast. For those of you who have it in your heart to help us out, we thank you as well. Again, the two Patreon exclusives and the 13 Ghost commentary over on Patreon. Uh, the exclusives, Train to Busan and The Eyes of the Mother. Really fun stuff, guys. So go over there, patreon.com slash Pod. The YouTube is Film Alchemist. The email, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Make sure you're finding us on all the socials you're on. Share the hell out of everything, especially this month, man. Let's bring more of our creeps into this uh, this good time fun house, right? Also, if you guys would be so kind, leave those ratings and reviews wherever you find pods. Uh, it's the best way to help us defeat the algorithmic religious goo that be oppressing uh, our weekend and ruining our plans. All right. Enough of that, guys. Enough business. We've had enough. Uh, today, we're here to talk about existential dread. We're here to talk about religion and aliens and all the big stuff that uh, the maestro, the maestro, 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 John Carpenter brought us in the film Prince of Darkness with our new friend, Jay Blake Fashera. He was a fucking awesome guy. I'm sure you guys know who he is, right? He runs uh, the Scored to Death podcast. Also wrote two books with the same title, right? Scored to Death. You should be like me and make sure you order one from him. I did. I just started it, and I can tell I'm going to love this, right? It's interviews with uh, famous horror movie, uh, wonderful horror movie composers uh, talking about their craft, and it's just a love letter to not only horror cinema, but a thing that I feel like we miss a lot, how wonderful and important the scores of these iconic films are in our memories. Um, so Jay was so deeply knowledgeable uh, to the point of almost being intimidating, right? But while he is so deeply knowledgeable, um, he just has a very warm personality about him. So immediately we just got to talking, and although I knew my brain was smaller, he disarmed me with his uh, his charm and his warmth. Um, so yeah, I feel like you get a great mix, right? Jay is very insightful. He, he gives very in-depth analysis and opinions on these films. He knows what the hell he's talking about. And then there's me, who he coddles and walks along like a like a young babe lost in the woods. Um, Jay was a wonderful guy. He also has a Kickstarter going on right now. You will find um, the details in the show notes. The episode details all that. We've also been sharing it to our socials. If you guys would be so kind to go to his Kickstarter, he's trying to make the documentary version of his books scored to death. And who here is going to lie to my face lie to my ears it's an audio medium maybe youtube if you're there who's gonna lie to this fucking face and tell me it wouldn't be the greatest day of your life to wake up on your day off click on the old shutter amazon Tubi, whoever the hell pays him the most and just see i'm gonna sit here and watch a documentary a long documentary about the classic scores of horror films you know you want it so help jay make this movie for us all right 
enough business without further ado let's uh listen to the episode prince of darkness with our friend jay blake fashera a fucking wonderful guy who you need to go support All right, guys, welcome. Uh, I would like for you to take a second, if you would be so kind, introduce yourself to the people and uh, what movie you picked tonight. My name is Jay Blake Fischera, and uh, I chose, well, actually, we chose it kind of together. It's, yes, uh, a meeting Prince, of the minds. <laughs> <laughs> Prince of Darkness by Hell yeah. uh, John Carpenter. Um, I'm the author of two books, Score to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, uh, which features interviews with 14 composers who have made significant contributions to the horror genre, including John Carpenter and Alan Howarth, who yeah. uh, scored today's movie. And then my second book, Score to Death 2, More Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, is 16 more interviews with uh, amazing composers who have made contributions to the horror genre. And uh, if anybody is interested, I'm in the process of trying to make those books into a documentary. And if you happen to be listening to this during uh, October of 2022, uh, <laughs> there, sh there should be a, a Kickstarter campaign running Hell right yeah. now to help raise money to turn those books into the definitive documentary uh, about uh, horror, horror film music. And uh, if you missed the Kickstarter, you can always follow me on Twitter and Instagram at score to death or join the mailing list at score And you'll have information about the movie and yeah. uh, all that jazz. Just stuff cash in envelopes and shoot it. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think for our crowd, that'll be a, a really big popular thing. So you guys should donate to that. We certainly will be. Uh, so Prince of darkness is probably the, the great John Carpenter movie that we have not covered yet. We actually did a whole John Carpenter month. And I don't know why, but it feels like with this movie, Prince of Darkness, it just kind of falls through the cracks sometimes in the Carpenter oeuvre, right? I don't know how we missed it, but I was really glad when you uh, decided that this would be one of your options, man. So I, I jumped on it, of course. What is it about Prince of Darkness that you love so much? And why do you think that it's this movie that tends to get somewhat forgotten amongst John Carpenter's other works? Well, I, uh, John Carpenter is my favorite filmmaker. So, yeah. uh, there aren't many John Carpenter movies that I don't, uh, <laughs> at the very least hide, ha, hold in high regard. Right. Uh, this movie I saw, in, I'm going to say the early nineties, um, a good friend of mine at the time I was in high school and, uh, my buddy Pete and I got into a thing where we would rent a horror movie every friday yes. hell yeah dude and uh <laughs> we rented this and i remember sitting in his tiny bedroom in uh, clifton park new york and we watched uh prince of darkness and it just kind of made a huge impact on me a year or two later i rented uh for a sleepover and i also which is one of the main inspirations for saturday night movie sleepovers which is a podcast i hell yeah i've done for, for many years <laughs> uh John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. And oh. that movie absolutely changed my life. I would yeah. not have written the books, the score to death books, if it wasn't for that score. Hell yeah, that dude. movie just kind of like blew my mind and the soundtrack did. And 
you know, in typical fashion, I think for most uh, fanatics and collectors and, and people that kind of geek out about stuff, once you find something you like, then you kind of research it. And this is pre the internet. So it wasn't super, <laughs> super easy. To I jump remember on. the days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jump online and find, but through research, I discovered that he, that this guy directed Prince of Darkness and he directed the thing and he directed mm -hmm. uh, They Live and Big Trouble Little China. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and it Escape from New York, of course. And even Starman I had seen and Christine, I had a very, I have a very, it's a specific memory about seeing that very, very young. And um, <laughs> it was like, man, this guy has been such a huge influence in my entire life and I didn't even know it. Yep. And uh, so, that just starts started a huge kind of like passion and love for John Carpenter movies, which uh, I still have today. Prince of Darkness specifically, I I love because I think in a lot of ways it may not be totally successful, but I think it's maybe his uh, his most ambitious movie. And okay. I have, and I have a theory that it may also be his most personal movie. <laughs> and... Yeah, dude. Weirdly, I thought that. Same thing. <laughs> I'm interested to hear. Yeah, I thought the same thing, man. Because I've always loved Carpenter. I got a massive concussion when I was like four years old because we were doing some country shit, right? Like my mom had this huge dog, and it or my grandmother, right, little old lady ran away and my dad like I don't remember how the fuck this happened I know the listeners have heard this and they're probably like we get it you were traumatized uh <laughs> but we were driving alongside a country road and my dad's driving and we're just running the dog's running beside the car I don't know how fast that is 10 miles an hour whatever my dad's idea was he flicks the door open he holds me by my underwear and he's like reach out grab the dog and pull him in right and this is a fucking massive like German shepherd whatever dog Pulls me out of the car, obviously, as soon as I grab him, I bounce down the gravel road. And so to try to pay me off from fucking telling my mom, his ex-wife, what had happened, because they were going in and out of court and shit. <laughs> he went out and let me pick anything I want. And I picked Gremlins and Big Trouble Little China. And I said that weekend when I was maybe like five years old, totally changed the entire trajectory of the rest of my life. Almost everything I love in movies comes from those two, but particularly Big Trouble Little China. So when I was in high school and we would do the same shit you would do, we would always go and Friday night, as soon as we got out of school, we'd go to the store and we'd all try to rent whatever we thought would be the most fucked up movie, right? To to freak everyone out as we tried to then like pregame for the weekend, whatever. When I found out the guy that did Big Trouble Little China did Halloween, it fucking melted my brain. Because those <laughs> movies feel so diametrically opposed on first viewing, right? Yeah. And I think that was my long-winded version for I Also Love John Carpenter. What I think about Prince of Darkness, though, is I, what I really appreciate about this one is I feel like there's a... I don't know what the phrase is, right? Like, John Carpenter's really putting his giant balls on the table... And it's just saying, I don't care if you think this is taking too long to get where it's going. He really makes us sit in this concept of what happens if you're just like at school on Friday with these other 55 year old students. And you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> the devil's in the basement. Like, what the fuck <laughs> am I supposed to do? And the amount he makes us just sit in that without losing tension, I found stunning today. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I love the fact that the cr- opening credit sequence is like almost 11 minutes long. And I love the yeah. music in that. And I love the <laughs> pacing of it. It's, you know, it's it's something, I don't know. I don't know if it's an age thing or it's just like, just movies don't do that anymore. Movies didn't really do that then. So, uh, but it's, Carpenter is a very, he's, He's an old soul, especially when it comes to yeah. filmmaking. Like he, <laughs> he is a classic Hollywood filmmaker, but in the late seventies and eighties yeah. and into the nineties, and he's working. He's working in a convention in the in a in a system that is uh, kind of evolved past him or default devolved past him, depending yeah. on what your point of view is. The reason why I, I think this is kind of a, an oddly personal film for him is that when you look at his filmography, um, with the exception of something like Escape from New York, which clearly was just his, like, wanted to make, you know, a, a futuristic Western and uh, maybe The Fog. Um, but most of his movies were, were, he wrote them for hire. Like Halloween was mm-hmm. not, he didn't make Halloween because he wanted to make Halloween. He made Halloween right. because, you know, he was, you He's know, like I'm deeply you, passionate about babysitter murders. <laughs> well, your blands came to him and said, yeah, right? I need, I, this is what I want. And so he wrote that with Deborah Hill, but 80, 1987 comes around. And he's completely disillusioned with working in Hollywood, working for Hollywood studios. The thing was a major, uh, uh, you know, debacle. I mean, I, I imagine like, just think about, and I'm sure you just, I'm sure you discussed this when you did the thing, but just imagine making the thing, mm-hmm. watching it and being in the cutting room, you know, and then having that almost end your career. I mean, that yeah. would like a, a less strong guy <laughs> would, or person would, Oh my God. Would leave the business. Yeah. Completely. It- the fact that that movie was a bomb still to this day baffles me because that that's one of those maybe like handful 10 movies I've seen in my life where like I'll always remember the first time I saw that movie. Uh, that movie really got me. But he had kind of so he he exploded with Halloween, obviously. And then he but he had been on this series of not good box office returns by this point. Right. Because I know Big Trouble in Little China also didn't do as expected. Yeah. And then the thing. And so there is this because I didn't realize that this was something he independently financed. Uh, that was something I just discovered today. And it, you kind of feel that energy in this movie, strangely enough. Right. And and that I think that might be one of those things where you can feel it just a little bit outside of the, the group of the other movies. Is it just has that real kind of low budget we got to get the job done mentality, which I I've actually come to endear. It's come to endear me to the movie more and more as I get older. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, that was kind of where I was going with, the, which mm-hmm. is he decides after big trouble in China, doesn't big trouble in little China doesn't well, he decides right. like, I don't want to do play that game anymore. I want to go back to making low budget films the way I did a couple of years ago at the beginning oh, yeah. of my career, where I have total creative control. <laughs> I, I want to make a movie where I can write and choose the script. Yep. I can write the characters. Nobody's going to tell me. And this is the movie he decides to make. And I think like for that 
reason alone, there obviously has to be some kind of like weird connection to it as opposed yeah. to these other movies that he did for hire. And of course, like his stamp is all over all those movies, you know, like he's a auteur in like the purest sense, but when he gets a chance to like, you know, well, you know, like screw too many cooks in the kitchen. I don't mm. care if I can make a bigger movie. I want to, I want to make what I want to make. And this is the movie right. he chooses to make because the summer before he writes it, he's reading some book on quantum mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and it like alters his perception of like reality and, and how he thinks like life is. And he wants to make a movie about it. And we see not just like all these like carpenterisms that we can get into later, but we see how uh, he, you know, especially now, I think it's easy for us to recognize because there's such a, a huge period of nostalgia for the 80s, which has gone on way longer than I think anybody would expect it. I mean, we should have been into nostalgia for the 90s yeah. by now. Almost ad nauseum, some would say. <laughs> But like, you know, that period, those that generation of filmmakers were nostalgic. I mean, that's why like Romero made Creep Show and John mm -hmm. Carpenter made the thing. Like they were looking back at the 50s and their childhood and saying, like, you know, I want to pay homage to that. That's why like happy days existed and Greece <laughs> got made, you know, right? <laughs> and all these things. But um, you know, with Carpenter, you know, I um I've talked to Cody Carpenter's son a few times on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, and I've gotten to know Cody a little bit. And but when I one of the times I had him on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, I I gave him like a quiz about his dad because I was like, here's my movie. like <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, like here's my perception of what John Carpenter is, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong. And it right. was like, what kind of car does he drive? I imagine he drives a Mustang. He's like, no, he drives a Cadillac. And I was like, okay, you know, like close enough, you know, yeah. <laughs> Is he into the Beatles or the Beach Boys? Because I imagine he's into the Beach Boys. He's like, well, he loves the Beatles, but he also loves the Beach Boys. But one of the things I asked him, I said, like, what's like the guilty pleasure movie in the Carpenter household? Like, what's what it's on? You, you know, it you got you know John Carpenter has to watch it. Right. And uh, he said, uh, Independence Day. But that tracks. But also, and I think it makes sense when you hear the other thing, which is like anything that's like 50 sci-fi. Oh, yeah, you know, for certain. You know, and certainly like Independence Day is definitely, you know, just yeah. like a 90s version of that. <laughs> and and so, you know, clearly it's, I think even more than horror, I think his real like passion nostalgia lies in the science fiction of like his mm -hmm. youth. And, you know, the, there's a movie that he's been wanting to make forever based on a book called like the stars, my destination, like science fiction. Oh, is yeah. Really where his his passion is. And so I think when we get to uh, Prince of Darkness, like, you know, we have, of course, like this fascination, this recent fascination that he has with quantum mechanics. But he starts to he writes something that pays uh, homage to Nigel Neal, who is a writer who wrote the Quatermass uh, movies or the books and then the Quatermass movies that he clearly loved. And he had hired a Nigel Neal to write Halloween three, even though it didn't end up working out. And uh, he quotes uh, another influence was a book called Timescape by Gregory Benford. So we see like him getting to like fit into that horror mold that he's become known for and that he's comfortable with, but starting to explore 
like real science fiction in yeah. like a very heady way. And yeah. I think kind of for like those reasons, like I, I just like, I think it's a really unique movie in his catalog. And I think one that I just feel like it was made for reasons that, you know, like we may never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, creative control is the most elusive devil in Hollywood. Maybe he just wanted to pin it down. Who knows? Uh, no, I mean, there is a, because I think this movie, right, you can kind of see the 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 children of this movie came out years ago, right? Like, I remember when I saw Primer, I was like, this feels like a very stripped down Prince of Darkness, right? They just took out that horror element. And what I, I really like about this movie is I think John Carpenter knew where his bread was buttered, right? He knew at that point horror, horror movies were his his avenue to the biggest audience. But he clearly wanted to make this science fiction movie. And I love these these kind of talks they're having at the start, right? Between Because we, we're jumping back and forth between a church and a college campus on some kind of you know physics lecture. And he talks about how everything is ordered and logical until you go down small enough. And at the subatomic level, everything we think we know gets annihilated, right? And it's just pure chaos and insanity. And I thought that was such a clever way to frame this, right? Is that science can know so much to a point and then anything beyond that is pure chaos. And what if, you know, Jesus and God and Satan were these aliens that came in long ago and there's a myriad and he just starts adding in these layers of sci-fi that I, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if it all adds up perfectly, yeah. but I, I think he gives it this great armor of there's always this unknown. And in the fact that we as an audience have to sit back and just accept that there there could be no rhyme or reason, or it's just something beyond our our kind of basic grasp of what's happening, and it kind of disarms your brain. E even in a movie that's as heady as this, I felt like most of it he's just saying like it's okay, it's okay, man. They're just squirt gunning each other and mirrors and whatever, dude. Just enjoy. <laughs> and so I just I really felt kind of safe right it felt like i was being held by my mom watching this movie if that makes any sense you know it's just like a little safe space <laughs> yeah well you know i think what you're talking about is you know one of the reasons why another i mean one of the many reasons why i kind of love this movie because in a way it's his scariest movie like what's more oh my god yes than that you know what i mean like when we talk about horror movies you know i think and you really start to analyze them. One thing that I, when I got really into horror movies and, and kind of studying them and stuff, and when I was in film school and college and stuff, one of the things that I really found fascinating about them was to just, you know, like there are fears, you know, and some of them are personal fears and some of them are universal fears. And, you know, every horror movie is kind of trying to exploit those fears. And what are they? And it's, you know, of course, it's like, you know, fear of the unknown fear of the darkness mm -hmm. fear of this you know what you, all these things you know fear of uh loss of identity is a huge mm -hmm. one that i love and that's like in and everything from invasion of the body snatchers to the thing to this one even to night of the living dead you know uh and this movie is in some ways you know like uh, the ultimate horror movie i mean we're dealing oh, yeah. with satan we're dealing with I mean, it, but the thing is, it's taking this very unique and odd 
viewpoint of it but we are talking about the devil and possession that we have we even have like the mark of the beast on yeah <laughs> on the woman who bumps <laughs> a virgin birth yeah we've got a little <laughs> everything outside well, of the place we have zombies you know it's very yeah. much a siege siege movie in the in the context of a john carpenter we have that fear of loss of identity i was talking about and mm -hmm. i think we see that best with uh, the character of Calder, the black guy, who is yeah. clearly like losing himself and is distraught over it. Like yeah. somehow he's 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 not he's having a hard time with it as opposed to just going all the way yeah. over. We have no, I mean, the there, there's so many anxieties, right? Like even the homeless people representing this kind of left behind by society, right? A little they live. I love the shot when Alice Cooper and the the homeless people are watching as Donald Pleasance, the priest, rolls up in a limo. And I was like, what a fucking brilliant. Like, that's just a perfect one second of a movie. You're like, I get all this already. But no, Calder is specifically in this movie, I think is kind of the low-key MVP of the movie, right? Because one, he's the first person who's kind of like, does no one else see how fucking enormous this is, right? He's the first guy that like, this is fucking insanity, right? A guy who perhaps has had to work his way into this system a little more than everyone else in the cast. Yeah. And he's sitting there like, guys, this is fucking huge. This is paradigm changing. But the scene with him that fucked me up is when he's taken over, right? Because we see the, uh, the other kind of Satan zombies maliciously running around and super soaking people, right? He's carrying a chair and coming up the stairs screaming or singing Amazing Grace, kind of screaming too. Amazing Grace. And he's so fucking sweaty. And he has this beautiful face where there's just like this manic it looks like the pen the skin of his face is going to peel back right and he can't take it anymore what's happening right and he tries to end it he tries to you know cut his own throat right the most fucked up part is not more than 10 minutes later in the movie he fucking comes back and he's got that same fucking giggle but like with hurt eyes and yeah. so it's like this guy it's kind of like that's you know one of these theories i've always had is that it's a wonderful life is also the most scary movie right Cause that's a guy who's just like, damn, I can't cut it anymore. And God's like more, like you gotta do more <laughs> and I'm going to make it worse. You know what I mean? Like you can't even just get peace and quiet. This guy got fucking yeah. brought back to serve this alien ooze, whatever. And I, there, it's just, there's so many of those brilliant. I, I mean, I think you're right. Like this really hits any kind of fear you could imagine. It exists in this movie, you know? And I, I just, well, even the even I think what I was leading up to is like, and even the ones like you can't like. Of course, there's like yeah. the easy the body horror and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like it's about like how man is small in the context yeah. of the cosmos. Like he's so comparing us to insects a lot of the time <laughs> in this movie. That's why I had and, to quit getting stoned and watching Cosmos, dude. It was like <laughs> fucking with my head too much. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like we're, man is existing but yeah. without logic and understanding of it like at all and oh, like yeah. and and in that way it's like that you know it's kind of the scariest <laughs> thing we could he could come up with oh my god yeah i mean the high level physicist just being reduced to nothing uh the thing that really fucked with me in this one is and i don't have per se a love affair with the church but watching donald pleasant have his total existential crisis because that was kind of the other thing I cherish about this movie is that it's it's possibly in Donald Pleasance's entire career, his kind of smallest performance, not in not in terms of quality, but in terms of 
unleashing his kind of more Donald Pleasant's traits, right? He's really small and quiet and introspective in this. This is a man. He's kind of the anti-Loomis, right? He's Father Loomis, not Dr. Loomis, because Dr. (laughs) Loomis is out there like, evil, evil. He's screaming and fucking shooting guns, running around all over the place, right? This this Father Loomis is just sitting there like, holy shit, man. Uh, Everything I gave my entire fucking life to, I'm an old, old man at the very end of my road. This might all be gone. And to me, the scene of the movie, right, because he's kind of sitting there debating about the, you know, where physics ends and religion could start, you know, and how the evil's just out here and it's influencing everything. That scene when, you know, the zombies start fucking really pressing him and he's just like, fuck y'all. And he runs into that room and closes the door. <laughs> no longer charitable. And he's just sitting there and he's trying to reread some scripture. Right. And he just goes, where are you, Christ? Where are you? And it's just this moment of total collapse of this mind. Yeah. And I was I it, it is strange cuz I think there's so many things in our society that we wish it's like change it. If I had a if I had the pen I'd change it all tomorrow and you're like I don't think we comprehend how much these things are so woven into how we exist. They're just ripping that out, right? That Jesus was an alien. Like that would <laughs> fucking like just imagine trying to like do anything the next day. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I I think that's fucking terrifying to me. Even though I yeah, don't believe in Jesus, which is strange. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but the Jesus is an alien thing. You know, that's that wasn't to- a totally new concept. Larry Cohen had done that, and God told me to, and I'm sure. Right. <laughs> going, that's a good going, point. Going back to Chariots I of the Gods or whatever, or all, you know, ancient alien stuff. I'm sure that was I'm like a big a ancient alien guy, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where he gets like uh, – the influence of like the Quatermass stuff because the Quatermass yeah. was like this rocket scientist who kind of investigates these paranormal and extraterrestrial things. And with Quatermass in the pit, and I, I don't want to get too far into it because we're not talking about that movie today, but <laughs> you know, at, at its core, like what that movie is doing is um, like saying that like Martians came, they couldn't survive on their planet. They came and they kind of altered like prehistoric man, Neanderthals, to be able to house like you know their consciousness, and that's nice. what that's what like that, that's why there's people that are violent, and those like those are the descendants of of these Martians, and but the Martians are like these insects, and the way they look is like this you know is like silhouetted, they look like the devil. So there's this part of like uh... oh this is where the mythology of satan came from and so carpenter's kind of playing with that of like okay like what if science was what if you're going to try to explain catholicism and religion but through scientific terms and if it was mythology i don't want to get in trouble but if we looked at it as if it were mythology (laughs) i'll fucking say it man (laughs) you Uh, come after me man (laughs) i come from a middle eastern background we're used to these kind of (laughs) strides No, um, there's that great book. God damn it. I'm going to forget what it's called. It's Children of Something, right? Children of whatever, right? But it's this story about this ship comes over like Nebraska, right? In the middle of America. And this the voice of the ship is called Corellin. And it's talking to the people, right? It's like this one farmer gets picked as the emissary to mankind. And he's kind of helping out, right? Solving world problems. Like, oh, this Corellin's a pretty good guy. He finally lets him in the ship. And he looks exactly like tim curry from legend right like he looks exactly like our most cartoonish version of satan and he talks about that you know this this traveling throughout the you know cosmos and this and that 
and watching these people look at this alien being that gave them all of these good things, but then they're like, ooh. You know, what I mean? like something <laughs> deep inside of them is like, but I hate that because yeah. it doesn't look like me. And I, I actually want to pick your brain. What do you make of the choice in this movie to just have it be this, this spiraling, you know, 1990s double dare gack? You know, what I mean? <laughs> instead of some kind of creature that would have more of a physical presence in the movie. What'd you make of this choice in the film? I mean, I, I kind of love it. And it wasn't. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> And it's not something I really thought about. I mean, the thought about it being this green ooze, I've I've obviously thought about. But there was a line here that I'm sure I've heard and thought about before, but something I totally forgot where it's like, it's like it's it's a womb. Like, he's like, it's primordial ooze and something is like something is growing inside there. Yeah, it's ordering itself. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that was like, oh, like it is. I mean, obviously it's something isn't birthed out of the tube but this idea yeah. of you know fluid and uh that it is like you know it's something is being birthed and it, you know that's it's messy business births yeah yeah it certainly <laughs> and, is <laughs> and uh you know i i think it's i mean i think it's a brave choice but i also yeah. think it's but at the same time it's kind of like a safe choice because like anything you do is not going to live up to expectation no. if you were going to try to personify it in some way. Yeah. So to just say that it's like this spinning jar of ooze, it's kind of like safe, but it's also, you know, dangerous, you know, it's yeah. a gamble as to what, yeah. and I think, you know, not to go to a, a side tangent, but I think one of the reasons why you, you mentioned one of your questions was like, why is it often kind of not counted in his filmography is that the, the truth is like not everybody likes it yeah <laughs> i feel you you know and i think that has something to do with it i think at this point a couple of years ago at saturday movie sleepovers we did the movie christine and i had said at that point that i think that was like the last underrated John Carpenter movie, but I don't mm. think that's the case anymore. He's like bigger now than ever. Like yeah. somehow, like the internet and <laughs> vinyl releases, and like it has been very kind to his, his legacy. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I don't think there's really any of his movies that are still like underrated. Like they're all kind of beloved by yeah. the people that would love them. Ghost but... of Mars, maybe, maybe that's the last holdout. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe someday there will be the appreciation. I think we all imagine Snake Plissken in it, and we're like, perfect, good enough. <laughs> I still but even truth, like that movie, to be honest. <laughs> you know, when I was in, when I was in film school, back in the late '90s, and I was in love with John, and I was obsessed with John Carpenter movies. Like most of his movies were still not beloved you know like yeah. people didn't like the fog then and oh, you know and madness. people love big trouble in little china but they live was loved but for maybe the wrong reasons mm -hmm. and uh you know and this was definitely unlike the fog category which is like you either like it or you don't and there was a yeah. lot of people that don't like it i think now more people have come around to it but i think there are still people who may not be like the huge horror buffs, but are the film buffs who also enjoy John Carpenter who don't like this movie. And I don't know if it's yeah. a matter of that they don't get it. I think it's just that 
some movies speak to us and some movies don't and i think part of that is like it's greed and ooze in a jar and some people <laughs> hey it worked for the turtles goddammit. it <laughs> secret that's that's my sequel prince of darkness 2 secret of the ooze what if instead of being that open-faced woman she would have become super shredder that would have been a box office bonanza no i mean we, we see there, we there see is... the goo leak into the sewers and then Dude, splinter crossover along. universe <laughs> crossover it's the krang is the dark god there you go no uh i i think to your point though there there is a higher threshold to kind of partake in this movie than other john carpenter movies right i feel like his movies are pretty fucking lean flicks right they're just straight at the point you get it right away you're pretty much in right maybe not something like dark star right some of his you know other stuff but for the most part right it's assault on precinct 13 it's halloween even the thing the fog right ghost in the the fog got it this one is very esoteric but in ways that it's not even generous enough to reveal to the audience right and i think a lot of people who come to horror come to horror really young right I think a lot of us find it young. Like I, mine was, you know, my dad showed me Pumpkinhead too young and I was hooked. And, you know, whatever your movie is, that's still my movie I like reach back for all the time. And I think this is not a young person's horror film, right? No. Like if, if you're like even the college kids in this movie had to be played by 40 year olds, right? <laughs> like there's just something if you haven't had enough experience, like you don't you don't have time to worry about the kind of greater societal tears that are about to happen, right? Who cares about religion? Who cares about science? Who cares about homeless people? Whatever, right? You're you're just like, a, I understand Michael Myers coming to get me when I'm trying to bang. I don't want to die a virgin. I understand that fear very deeply. But I, I think there is just a, a threshold that you have to be willing to run with this movie. And I think that gets a lot easier when you're at our age. You know? Yeah. So maybe, maybe there is this thing that people will grow into it more, hopefully. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's part of you know, John Carpenter, the rebel or the nonconformist, yeah. you know, like I think, <laughs> you know, I think it was a very, uh, you know, it was very conscious decision to say like, look, by 1987, you know, we're, we have how, you know, by this time we have Nightmare on Elm Street, we have, you know, how many Jasons by that point, you know, we were still very much in the, in the, uh, hold of slasher horror at that oh, point yeah. and and we were we were having all these Stephen King movies kind of like we're getting dished out by De Laurentiis and everybody and I think Carpenter I think that was part of it I think Carpenter's like this you know I want to make a horror movie that is the anti-80s horror movie yeah <laughs> that is like, like a throwback to the omen right just this kind of yeah. quiet like big picture horror movie yeah, like something that's more like that. I mean, I think on it's. I think part of it's un, it's unfortunate that he's dealing with such a with such a small budget. I think the things that don't work about it are probably budgetary. Yeah, um, I I know people complain about some of the cast, and uh, I, I think it's like love the cast. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's never bothered part of the movie. Yeah, it's never bothered me, but I've heard people complain about you know Jameson Parker in it. Yeah. Um, but you okay, know, so maybe that one. Maybe I'm with that one. <laughs> I you know, just he, like, all right, mustache, bring it down. He was riding high on Simon and Simon at the time. I mean, yeah. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh like it's like his 
I don't know. In some ways, it's his ugliest looking movie. You know, like it. But there's still know, those it, moments, right? Like the the moon silhouetting sure. the cross, right? The there's just there's still those moments, right, where you just you kind of like it. But the makeups are like the the yeah. end makeup is very crude. I mean, it's disgusting, yeah. but yeah. it doesn't have like the artistry and the beauty. very pizza the hut. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not it's not Botine stuff for the thing. That's for no. sure. No, <laughs> certainly um, little little step down heaven and hell, as they say. <laughs> and I think you know, with a bigger budget, I think he would have you know, swung for the fences a little bit more, even like yeah. conceptually, probably, you know, like it would have been bigger than just resulting in like a zombie siege movie at the end. I think like, had he known yeah. he had the money to spend, he probably would have went for something bigger than what, what ultimately it ends up being at the end, which is just like assault on precinct 13 or night of the living dead. Mm -hmm. But like in this, old church which is fine you know like you know it's, it's fine i think that's the exact right word fine <laughs> but like the whole movie you really sat here and like we're pondering right victor wong and donald pleasant you're just sitting there like hammering shots and like what if <laughs> and i'm like that's the movie. and then yeah like you know crawling between rooms while someone's chewing on your ankle you're like that's fine should have just but, been my, my dinner with andre but with like those two yeah. <laughs> my dinner with anti-gods yeah <laughs> Sitting in Dude, the office talking honestly, for two hours. That's the movie, and then it ends with the Turtles crossover. <laughs> We're talking franchise. No, uh, I'll tell you what though, that the lack of budget sometimes helps out a lot, right? Sure. I actually think that finale with the the anti god in the mirror, because it took me a minute to process again. I'm like, wait a sec. So our god lives over there? No, wait, that's the other god, and that's the father of this thing. Okay, I'm with it. Right when they pull the hand out, it's that Satan claw. That was fine, right? Seeing the hand reach into the void. It's a very exactly like the poster for The Void. It's yeah. just that shot on the poster, right? <laughs> nice homage. That scene at the end, though, when uh, our lead actress, right? She she tackles Lisa Blunt, right? She tackles the satanic, you know, embodiment through the portal. And Donald Pleasance fucking whips the axe and breaks it, right? That last shot is the most haunting shot in the movie. Her just kind of in this like yeah. aquatic darkness with these lash flashes of lights as we see her being pulled off screen. Yeah. That was just fucking amazing. Yeah, that that should be the poster, really. I That's mean, the shot of the movie, man, right? Yeah. And then like her reaching that, for salvation, but not being uh, able And then to the get priest it. is like, fuck you! <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> fucking breaks the mirror. <laughs> Donald Pleasance is not a good emissary for the church. And then on the stretcher, he's just like I did it. I fucking did it all myself. I, I, <laughs> I did a great job. No, but I thought that was terrifying. And then the movie leaves you with this little tag of J, uh, Jameson Parker sitting there and he wakes up afraid, right? That she's the one now coming through the window. Uh, but he just has that moment where he stops and looks at the fucking mirror. Yeah. And he's just fucking frozen in terror as he reaches out for the glass. And I was like, that's one of those. They set that up so good that that little moment that costs you essentially nothing becomes a terrifying thing to walk out of that theater and have to ponder for the rest of the time. Uh, one of the things I did want to ask you before we, we keep jumping around too much, what did you make of the tape from the other side? This kind of message, who sent it, what it was? Because at the end, we see that the girlfriend is now walking out of the, or Lisa Blunt, not the girlfriend technically. Yeah. 
She did hook up with mustache a little too easy, I gotta say. He went from I'm a I'm a sexist and proud of it to <laughs> let's have coffee to they wake up in bed together. That was too fast. Neither here nor there. Uh, what do you make of this tape? I actually thought it was a pretty cool addition to the movie, the kind of shared dream uh, transmission. Yeah, um, well, it's you know this is the thing that he borrows from that the book Timescape, which is this idea of in Timescape it's like scientists of like the late nineties trying to reach back, trying to send a message back to the scientists of the sixties to yeah. say like, you guys got to get your shit together because if you don't, we're going to be where we are now. We're going to be in the goddamn nineties. <laughs> They're sending up transmissions from Woodstock 99 and shit. <laughs> this is what happened. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think it's a, it's an awesome device and yeah, I think it's like, you know, Unfortunately for this movie, I think it needs more uh, introspection than I think most people want to give it to really kind of appreciate everything that's going on in it. Yeah. Because, you know, the the ending is like very John Carpenter, like John Carpenter, a John Carpenter. This movie has a lot of that, a lot of John Carpenterisms, as I said earlier, you know, it's got the siege. It's got the group of professionals working together. It's got like the supernatural and extraterrestrial body snatching thing. Most importantly, which I think is most fascinating about it. It has this idea of like dormant heart, dormant evil mm-hmm. from like the past, which we see, you know, even Michael Myers, yeah. 15, you know, 15 years later, the fog, it's, it's, the people yeah. on the boat, the thing, it's the thing is trapped, you know, frozen in ice. Even Christine mm-hmm. is like, you know, from the past in the mouth of madness is like the things on the, that are inside the, you know, on the other, on the other side. Yeah. And so it's this idea of like this thing dormant. And then there's just so many questions that, that arise in this movie. And there's no like totally satisfying answers. Right. Like, is it the supernova? The supernova? The rays of the supernova are, are that the supernova happened before mm-hmm. early Earth. Yeah. So, and now the rays of the supernova are just now reaching Earth. Mm-hmm. So, is that is that what's triggering it? <laughs> yeah. You know, Who's influencing who? Yeah. Yeah, and when it comes to the the broadcast, the dream and the ending, you know, the, the uncertain ending is totally a John Carpenter trademark, you know? And I think in this case, it's so uncertain. Like it's so you can put, you can view it so many ways. I think it took till this viewing and, and to be an adult, as you were saying, like this movie, <laughs> you kind of have to grow into it yeah. to really like, be like, okay, the dream is, it's a cool device. But then when you really think about it, like, okay, what is it? And who, I think the big question is who is sending it? Cause I think we're, we automatically assume it's a warning, mm-hmm. but we don't know that. Yeah. Like maybe it's the dream that puts them into action to make it happen. <laughs> like, make, yeah. Well, that's like what I mean. Bro- we can't, we can't, you don't say don't press the red button. Cause then that's all <laughs> you fucking think about is pressing the red button. You know, it's, we don't by we do know that by, by year one, nine, 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 the brotherhood of sleep doesn't exist anymore Yeah, because the last one just died Yeah, at the beginning of this movie. So who's sending it? Like who, mm-hmm. like, is it, is it people who want to stop it or is there people who want to have for, want it to happen we just we don't know 
And I think that's really interesting. And the idea of it is great. The execution of it is great. The die, like the, the, the choice of words, mm-hmm. you know, that are said are great. They're so cryptic. And then in the end, we don't we like we don't know is it a, is it the dream is it another transmission is it just a dream mm-hmm. and it's just like his weird guilt over this happening yeah and if it is a transmission what does it mean yeah. like did we stop it and now she comes out and she's actually not threatening or is she now the anti god <laughs> yeah she wants to make someone come back and be like oh there's a beautiful lady in the church I'll go check that out. No, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I love what they said, though, right? Because your 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 theory on dormant evil is beautifully fits in this movie, right? Because they talk about how this thing has been the corrosion dates back seven million years, right? Way yeah. predating any religions we had this and that. And we talk about at the end of the movie, right? We we juxtapose that to we we won today, but he's still waiting on the other side of that mirror. So perhaps this is just, you know, mustache taking it back to his real life and just having to live with the weight of, because we also don't know how the fuck they explain like 20 dead college kids, right? <laughs> like <laughs> what is going to happen? The homeless were going crazy. I swear to God. Uh, you know, but just that, like, right. He has to go back to where like the homeless just go back to being homeless. The priest just goes back to spouting his nonsense. Like he said earlier in the movie, right? They keep going back to studying equations and they know they'll never get far enough. And he just lost this girl, right? Could he have done more? Could he have done? So he has to go back. And I think the dormant evil is going to be this for him. It's just the whole world, right? He just looks out and everything he sees is just this stagnation, right? And that just every fucking turn in this movie, there's something that's waiting to become a threat, right? So how the fuck does this guy go back to, just being a physicist trying to get laid after coffees you know what i mean like yeah i don't know how you maintain course and so <laughs> the the idea that because that's the other thing they talk about right donald pleasant has that wonderful monologue which he always does when he talks about you know we put ourselves at the center of this alien story because that's what we do and we put the alien the evil inside of the heart of every man because that puts us at the center of the story right well, if you watch the movie, that becomes a, a really fun visual journey we go on as all the people get the evil fucking squirted into the center of them and then become a part of it, right? So they, they, this whole movie, every single element that you break apart is just evil is just sitting there waiting. And like water, it just flows to the nearest fucking open crevasse. I don't know, man. I, I love the looming evil theory. It's yeah. pretty, <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, smart. it's it's. Yeah, I mean it's great. I mean it's terrifying. Like fucking I, like, terrifying, dude. Yeah, like you're <laughs> right. Like how to not just you know Brian or whatever his name mustache, but like how to like you know how does uh, the professor you know and yeah how do they all go on? You know, like the how... only one who seems like he's gonna love life is Father Loomis. Feels like he's gonna <laughs> fucking love it. I don't even know if that's his name. That's what it was on the subtitles of my movie. <laughs> that might have just been a snarky employee. I think it just says priest online. But yeah, yeah. I think he's going to be ecstatic. He's like faith totally 100% renewed. I think everyone else is going to be pretty seriously fucked up. All. Yeah. Was it just the two? No, three of them. Three of them make it. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I don't know, man. It's. 
it's terrifying. Like to to just live the rest of your life knowing. <laughs> it's one thing to have lost. Yeah, have lost this woman that I don't know. He knew for really... a long weekend. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, obviously infatuation, and you know, who knows where it could have gone. But to yeah. have lost somebody who sacrificed themselves, uh, but just to like live life knowing, like, you know, I, I want to tell everybody, but one, nobody's going to believe me. No Two, one. if they do, like. You know what's it? What's it going to mean? You know, it's yeah. interesting when they when they're reading the transcription and they're like, and oh, Jesus yeah. was of extraterrestrial origin, and he came to warn everybody, but he but he had too much of a following. Like he was, and they decided like it was like that he had down. too had too much influence. But it's like you know like we know our version of you know Christ mm-hmm. but in the context of the movie like who's they and <laughs> Jesus could be sending the transmissions from wherever the fuck he went we don't know and that could like, be Jesus's second coming right we've got a lot of biblical allegory in this movie already and it's like it. you know the he cuz he's clearly he's trying to save everybody but yeah. uh, you know they don't like it and i love like it's like so his like the disciples or whatever decide like okay well, we're gonna hide this shit until yeah. science is advanced enough to explain <laughs> it to everybody we were just some dudes riding around with them this is fucking crazy <laughs> we're gonna take this to we're gonna build the church yeah. in the new land in the new world in fifth in the 1500s yeah you know and in the middle of what's gonna be downtown la <laughs> Right, <laughs> and hide this thing. Yeah, they're like on the canoe with Lewis and Clark. Don't mind the giant glowing tube. We got to get out west. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> no, because yeah, that that thing has been there for years, right? Yeah. Well, they're like Loomis is like the. It was built in the 1500s to yeah, blah blah blah. But just like the idea of, you know, the train, all the stuff of the transcription, I find fascinating because there's also like the the anti god, you know, he he put it he put his son in the thing mm-hmm. and the only way to open it is because it's locked from the inside so he put it in there for a later date <laughs> yeah right when he's good and cooked and ready he'll come out yeah like i don't does does he then does the anti-god then go and destroy the supernova and it's like when that shit hits that planet then we're good to go. Like buns yeah. are coming out of the oven once that happens. God's work in mysterious ways, I guess. But you know what? Honestly, it's weird because if this movie came out today, right? If they remade it, there is not a doubt in my mind that about 50 minutes into the movie, we would get a six-minute point-by-point explanation of everything we've seen and exactly what it means and what they need to do to stop it. I fucking cherish messiness in movies at this age, right? I yeah. love the fact that these are just... These are learned scientists, and they're like, we don't fucking know. So why the fuck should you know, <laughs> right? Like, we're all just kind of taking guesses, right? We're all stabbing, right? Everything he says, maybe it's tachyons, maybe it's this, that. No one fucking knows anything. And I feel like at those really big moments in time, that's what it would always feel like for all of us, right? Like the people who saw World War One, they're like, what the fuck? This makes no sense. The first time you saw a nuclear bomb, right? What the fuck? <laughs> right? Like, yeah, and yeah. It, it just gets to this. There is an inadequacy at the core of all of these characters, right? Everyone is struggling to try to fill some fucking void, right? She's like, 
I just can't conceptualize the math when it gets far enough, right? Dennis Dunn's just trying to get laid all the time and tell jokes. Mustache is also trying to get laid. A lot of them are just getting laid, right? But there is this this kind of issue with these high-achieving people realizing that they can never achieve enough. And what happens when you really fucking shove their face in it like a puppy who pissed on the floor? <laughs> and I just I, I love the fact that it just refuses to answer and, like, tie the knots, right? Yeah. I think it would almost cheapen the movie if they did. Well, I mean, that's the what's the biggest, what's the scariest thing? I mean, it's the unknown, right? The so unknown, dude. <laughs> it, it just, like, it revels in it. And it doesn't, you know, it's like, because the truth is, like, you know, quantum mechanics, like, what influences this movie? It is, it's still just theory. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, science only explains so much and and then yeah. at some at some point like the human brain has to wrap itself around mm-hmm. <laughs> right. the unknown and try yeah. to explain that's why we it. make stories and, to explain away every fucking thing <laughs> right. you know i mean the, i mean there's like the the idea that there's like this theory that you know time doesn't actually move linearly we just mm-hmm. conceive it that way because it's the only way our brains can can deal with it yeah and to think that like this conversation is happening like maybe at the same time as john carpenter's making prince of darkness yeah before he even makes it there's two fucking guys (laughs) ripping it up dude who knows but i but i remember i made a joke earlier i used to get stoned and i was watching uh fucking cosmos right and he talked about like the amount of numbers of how many fucking possible universes and planets there just are. And he was like, it's such a great number. Right? I remember reading that somewhere, like even a, a trillion, a billion dollars. Our brains can't comprehend what that number truly means. So we substitute something that means a lot to us. Right. And so I was like getting stoned, just going down this fucking YouTube hole and watching Cosmos. And it, I think that's the scariest thing this movie really hammers on is how nothing fucking matters at all right like yeah. even this right at the end of the movie they're just like ah they're still on the other side but that just i think the idea of gods right makes us feel so fucking small and i think science does that too right it's just all these things that are somewhat reducing our role in our own lives and i just i don't know man i i, I fucking love the way he attacks this um it's kind of it's not like a you know a a fucking samurai slice. It's more of like getting fucking beaten to death with a beer bottle, but in a beautiful way. <laughs> yeah, he just he explain takes you. He he gets you. He takes you over to the edge, but he yeah. doesn't. He then makes you. You know, you have to makes you think about like, okay, like just he's like he's like he can't spoon feed to. He doesn't have the answers. I mean, yeah, he's I, just mean I honestly wonder if he fucking had like a. a bible like this is what all of this means or if he just said that ah, scares me <laughs> you know what i mean that's what it really feels like yeah 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 well, and i can't I, imagine if he had made this in the studio system they wouldn't force him to put a pen on all that yeah well i mean he never they never would have even greenlit the script i mean they would have been like Same. wait how long's the title sequence <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's like the new hip thing. I was watching Drive My Car last year for the Oscars. That fucking like the 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 opening credit thing hits like 35 minutes into the movie. 
You're just like, oh, wait, fuck. I forgot they even didn't do this yet. He was ahead like, of his time. Carpenter was a fucking trailblazer. <laughs> I, just, I don't well, know. I mean, I'm a, like, I'm a definitely, obviously not every movie works for me when they're slow. I mean, obviously, like I said, every movie, a movie either speaks to you on some level or, or it doesn't. But when it's, when a movie speaks to me, like pace has nothing to do with it. Like I can yeah. revel in, you know, a slow burn yeah. forever. Like I could just sit there and watch this juxtaposition of what's going on at church. And <laughs> and <laughs> what's going on at the university. Yeah. Like he could have made that another 20 minutes and I would have been like, yeah. all right, like I'm in it. The music is all like, I'm yeah. feeling it, you know, like oh, it's yeah. interesting. His, his choice of the way he cuts it is really, uh, you know, odd but ex you know expert like he's look and more than anything john carpenter in my opinion is a he's a craftsman you know like yeah of any absolutely. Of, of any director of his generation he was among the most polished like mm -hmm. especially if you look at the horror genre and you know not to take anything away from wes craven george romero uh toby hooper I love all those directors and I love all their, their, you know, the early movies. But if you just look at them compared to what John Carpenter was oh, doing yeah. with Assaulted Precinct 13 and then Halloween, like there's just a professional polish yeah. to his movies that, okay, we look at them now when they're dated because they were made, you know, in the seventies and on a low budget. So there's just some things that are unavoidable, but at the end of the day, like, the guy knows how to make a movie and yeah. I don't, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know, but I wouldn't guess that he considers himself an artist, but I think he probably <laughs> does. I, consider I himself actually a just heard a clip where he was mad that he went to one of the, the last masters of horror dinner he went to, right. When they'd all get together, he went and he goes, yeah. And my old pal, David Cronenberg showed up and I walked over and he was holding court and he goes, he thinks he's very important now. He thinks he's an artist and he wouldn't even look at me. So I left. So I can assure you, John Carpenter. And this says he's like lighting another cigarette. I do not think John Carpenter holds a lot of pretension about who he was, which to your point is incredible. Cause I, I, you know, Wes Craven and all them, I also love their shit, but he is such a better visual storyteller than his peers. I felt like, yeah, he just had a grasp on, the nuts and bolts of how to make a movie. And I think that oh, yeah. comes from like just a sheer love for the craftsman of the studio system, like his love for Howard Hawks and John mm -hmm. Ford and Alfred Hitchcock, you know, like Wes Craven didn't, hadn't even seen a movie till he was like 30 or something. <laughs> yeah. like he, he was living <laughs> horror movies. It sounded like for his young life, <laughs> you know, John Carpenter aspired to something. Yeah. Uh, some of the greatest filmmakers of all time, and uh, and I think that propelled him to have like a certain bar that he mm -hmm. tried to reach, and he wanted. He's like, look, hey, I want to shoot this shit in widescreen, you know. Like, I want it to be a Hollywood movie, even if it's not a Hollywood movie. I want it to look like that. Yeah, and he, like in some ways, it's like his priorities were different. You know, I mean, look, all of them made a horror movie because it was a way to make a movie. None of them were like, I want to be a horror movie director. But 
you know, like I just want to make a movie that I can make money so that we can make another movie. And that's how all those, <laughs> even, even Sam Raimi, you know, they didn't oh, want to yeah. make, he didn't want to make evil dead movies. He just was like, but John Carpenter, I think he more than anyone. And I don't necessarily think of him that much as a horror director because he's done so much other stuff. Yeah. Like to me, he's just like, a, he's a filmmaker that has made really great horror movies. Yeah. But like, you know, some of the fucking best. <laughs> yeah. But, even but he's like also Star- made some of your favorites in other genres, too. Yeah. But like Starman is like maybe among Dude. my favorite movies of his. So and that movie get- is so much more fucked up than I remembered. I just <laughs> rewatched it this year for the first time in maybe like 25 years. And it did not. I thought it was just like sexual E.T. when I was a kid. I had forgotten how absolutely bizarre that like birthing scene is. Yeah. I mean, that's among the scariest things he's ever put on film, <laughs> my friend. That that still fucks me up. <laughs> All right. Well, while I still got you here, before we wrap up here, if you had to shotgun off the top of your head, top five carpenter movies. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I knew it was gonna be hard. <laughs> well, I would have to say the thing. Okay. I would have to say in the mouth of madness just because of its impact on me. Hell yeah. Um I have to, I I do love Starman. I'd say Starman. Um and then after that it becomes really difficult for me. I've always appreciated like his action movies, but I've always been more partial to the horror movies. Um I do have a love for Christine and uh I guess this one. Yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to go all except for Starman. I'm going to go. When I was younger, I'm going to go with the Apocalypse Trilogy. Yeah, the Apocalypse Trilogy. (laughs) See, I think those, I know Halloween, Mouth of Madness, the thing would all be in mine. And then I I think weirdly I would add The Fog and Big Trouble Little China, like number two or three. But I think I'm with you. I really gravitate to his horror storytelling. And even Brig Trouble, Little China to me when I was a kid, it had those elements of horror that I loved. I think that's what I latched on to as much as kind of the neon karate stuff. You know, I love seeing like the beholder in the dungeon. I love seeing the fucking, you know, little hairy Yeti. There's just something very weird watching that at five years old, right? The blood magic and the fucking light in the face. I don't know what my dad was thinking, but I'm glad he fucking did it. Because <laughs> that was my John Carpenter, you know, like your... Yeah. Uh, your carpenter that you know fucking set you on the path so yeah yeah uh anything else about prince of darkness before we dip out of here i mean i would just say that you know i don't want to put a crowbar in but i think on saturday movie <laughs> that's sleepover, what we do here <laughs> on saturday movie sleepovers one of the things that my co-host dion and i try to always do is like put it we'll look at the movie within context and uh i think I mean, it's it's extremely overt in this and maybe could have been handled with a little bit of a lighter touch. But I think it's important for people that are watching it now that weren't alive in 1987 to put mm-hmm. into context that like the idea of like evil being ejaculated (laughs) into people is a very much kind of like playing on people's fear of AIDS at the time, which was like terrifying. Like people were afraid to use like public toilets because they were afraid to get it. And all people like really knew at some point was that it was like fluids. And Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, people 
look at the thing in retrospect and say like that was also it because of the blood and all that stuff but the thing kind of comes out before the huge yeah. aid scare well, I mean, just imagine waking up. There's a girl on your bed. She ejaculates into your mouth. And now, oh, no. I mean, this is because that was a strange time because I was young enough. And here in Indiana, not more than maybe like 30 minutes from where I grew up was where the Ryan White story happened. Yeah. Was so there was a little huge. boy in our town. Yeah. Who or not in our town, but in our state. He got AIDS through a blood transfusion and he went through like a fucking nightmare, obviously. But yeah. it was one of those things. All of our parents had to sit us down. And they're like, you know, our teachers were like, can we fucking talk about this? What? So it was it was fucking terrifying because I was in maybe like third grade, not nearly old enough to even comprehend. Yeah. You know what sex was or it is. It was just like a yeah, there's this thing coming to get you. Right. It might as well have been a horror movie monster. So I do think it is kind of funny. Right. Because like we live through that and you go back and watch now and you're like, how could people have been so panicked? And also, you're like, people's information sources were so much more limited back then. Yeah. You know, so, like, if you didn't read the paper or catch the nightly news, that was just over. There wasn't 24-hour news on all the time. You know what I mean? So, it's just a weirder, like, low information time where, like, your information might just be your neighbor being like, well, this is is how it is. I swear to God. (laughs) And you're just like, well, why would he lie to me? He's my neighbor. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's actually interesting. I never thought of this in the aid context, but once you say it. It does. Also, it kind of explains why all the characters are kind of there's a lot of this like intermingling romance talk throughout about people hooking up and this and that. Yeah. But also, like, you know, at that point, it was by 87, like it was people. A lot of people thought that it was it was gay people. And you notice that in almost every case, like how it's transmitted is same sex. You know, it's it's it's. It's someone, and the one time that it's transmitted that it's not from like a woman to a woman is with uh, the black character, and that's interracial, which in '87 mm-hmm. was also still kind of taboo. Yeah, and the only and it's a threesome because the other lady's like on the floor looking, and the only time where there is an exchange of fluids that's heterosexual is with Catherine and 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 mustache which is the only mm-hmm. heterosexual and and that's is safe in the context of the and movie. they're the heroes of the fucking movie and one then thing there's that even I... that if you're in the basement the fucking thing can just drop in your mouth <laughs> after you get your neck snap <laughs> but okay one thing this that... is like i might have to rewatch it right now because that just completely never like hit in my brain at all well <laughs> well think about this while you rewatch it the character <laughs> of uh let me, well, let me make a note of more scary things in <laughs> Prince of Darkness, yeah. <laughs> this isn't necessarily scary, but I, one thing I thought was interesting in researching it, that the character of Walter, the uh, you know the young Asian guy, mm-hmm. there is like this little of like, there's like this homosexual thing that's going on with him. He's like, I when I was 12, I broke out because homosexual panic. Yep. When he says to uh, the, you know, uh, Brian, the the mustache guy, you know, like ah, you know, I'm supposed to go on this date with this beautiful trial attorney. He's like, oh, where are you taking him? Mm-hmm. And where does Walter get trapped at the end of the movie? In a closet. He's in the closet. And the and only when time he... a woman touches him, she bites him and he screams. <laughs> and when he escapes, when he runs out of that closet, he's running from uh, a, a fluid transfer from from women. So. You know, That's you true. think about that. 
and What's throws her on? ass out the window. <laughs> Damn, yeah. I, we need to get on an Xbox Live party with John Carpenter and ask these questions. I need to know. Just like, he's like, hey, man, you're really killing my Call of Duty score with all these fucking Prince of Darkness questions. <laughs> but uh, Prince of Darkness, okay, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, to me, it's, it stands apart in his catalog. Um, not necessarily because it's better than his other movies, but it's, as I get older and I, and I see more movies, you know, uh, I come to appreciate the movies that I feel are like truly unique. Yeah. And even though this one does, you know, show the influences of, of like what influenced him to make the movie at the end of the day, like there's, as far as I've seen, there's no other movie that's quite like Prince of Darkness. And for that no. reason alone, I kind of appreciate it. I mean, maybe on a fluid transfer level, it follows. But <laughs> <that's about it. laughs> no, uh, dude, great, great pick, man. This was a wonderful talk. Uh, would you like to tell everyone one more time where they can find your stuff? Uh, tell them about the Kickstarter, all the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, again, my name is Jay Blake Fischera. You can find my books, Score to Death and Score to Death 2, that are uh, interviews with horror movie composers. They're available on Amazon, uh, other book retailers, or you can order them for me directly at scoretodeath.com. Uh, you can follow me on uh, the socials at Score to Death. Uh, we've been putting out a couple of new Saturday Night Movie Sleepover podcast episodes, and you can just kind of Google those. Uh, but most importantly, right now, in the context of October of 2022, I'm trying to raise money to turn my books into the definitive documentary, feature-length documentary, about uh, the craft of scoring horror movies, which is a subject that I'm very passionate about. And yeah. so if you happen to be listening to this in time, please... Uh, take a look at Kickstarter or come visit me on social media or join the mailing list at scoredeath.com to find out about it. The one thing I will say to try to just plug it a little bit is that um, one of the tier rewards that I I'm offering is you give out uh, tubes of ooze. <laughs> I, I wish that's good. Maybe I'll add those only one and it's real expensive. No, <laughs> but uh, I put together a scored to death compilation record album of uh, covers of horror movie themes by um, a very eclectic and awesome uh, group of composers from Alan Howarth, who co-host who co-wrote the music for this is doing something for it. Uh, Holly Amber church. Who's a great uh, composer who I've interviewed and she's going to be in the documentary as well. And Alan will be in the documentary, the band Voyager, uh, okay. The band Anima Morte is doing a track. Uh, Steve Moore from the band Zombie is doing a track for it. Uh, Richard Christie, who, who uh, used to be the drummer for Death, who now has a band called uh, Charred Walls of the Dam, he's doing a track. The uh, Will and Brooke Blair, who are great composers. Uh, Wojciech Golchewski, who's a great composer who has done some amazing horror movie scores. All these people are getting together to support the film and uh, recording new material covers of great horror movie themes for me to put on a limited edition vinyl and CD so that uh, help raise money for the movie. So dude, that's uh, fucking rad. Yeah. So the, 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 the support and love from the music and film music community and, and, and fans of the book and, you know, lovers of film music has been kind of amazing. And hopefully uh, we can put together a really great movie from that. 
you will definitely get that movie done. <laughs> We're passing the good antimatter <laughs> your way. <laughs> no, man, it's been uh, wonderful to talk to you. This was this was a truly awesome time. Uh, I will let everyone know in the show details where to find your stuff. Uh, and more than anything, man, thanks for the time. Oh, my pleasure. I will talk about John Carpenter movies anytime, anywhere. Be careful. We still haven't done Starman. <laughs> I'll hit you up. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.